I'm going to leave off with a joke, Jeremy. This is a good, clean joke that you can say at work. You could tell your mom. It's not often that I do that. It almost never ends up like this, even when you preface it like that. Lauren did not like the joke, but I stand by the joke. <laughs> Two people. They're married. They're in bed one night, Sally and John. All right. Sally turns to John and goes, John, if I died, would you remarry? John goes, oh, that's uh, what an awful thing to ask. I don't even want to think about that. I don't want any more talk of this. Oh, you know, that's awful. A couple of days later, Sally kind of is a little more persistent. He goes, you know, John, I just want to know. I really want to know. And he goes, oh. I mean, I guess after an appropriate amount of grieving, an appropriate amount of time, yeah, I, you know, I might remarry. And she goes, oh. Would you sell the house? And he goes, what? He goes, would you sell the house? You know, this is the house we lived in. He goes, well, it's a perfectly good house. Why would I? No, I'm not going to sell it. He goes, all right, well, would you sell our bed? What? Would you sell the bed? No, why would I, why would I sell the bed? It's a perfectly good bed. She kind of pauses for a minute and goes, would you sell my golf clubs? And she goes, he goes, oh, I don't know. She's a lefty. You can cut that part. I just wanted to let you know, independent of the podcast, <laughs> I wanted you to know that joke. <laughs> I want to read it. That makes me want to leave it in all the more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, welcome to Ben and Jeremy's. Uh, this week, a lot has gone on. Uh, my poor, poor Yankees have been uh, eliminated from the playoffs, and everything in the world is not okay. Uh, we're, today we're going to talk about the Astros because they continue to win to the jest or to the dismay of many people. And then we're also going to talk about the shift in baseball. All right, whether you're for it, whether you're against it, it's, I think it should be more of an issue, but we'll get into that. Uh, we're going to talk about those two topics among whatever else clears our mind today. So I hope you all enjoy. I think we can first go off because, you know, ALCS is going on. The Astros. The Astros are facing the Rays. That's uh, the Astros are pretty, you know, polarizing. I would say uh, they have, you know, we have made both of our thoughts about the Astros in the past pretty clear. However, Carlos Correa last week. Uh, I don't know if you have the quote put up, but Carlos Correa had a quote this past week where he was kind of saying. Uh, let's see. His exact quote was, I know a lot of people are stupid ad block. His quote was, I know a lot of people are mad. I know a lot of people don't want to see us here, but what are they going to say now? We're a solid team. We played great baseball. We won it. So what are people going to say now? And Jeremy found full offense to this. He can say in his own words, but he did not like it. He thought Carlos Correa was a joke, and he said, you know, you said something about uh, people not being mad because of them being a good team. So elaborate on it. Kind of tell me exactly what you were kind of saying. Yeah, I mean, his his quote itself verbatim doesn't bother me as much, but it's the place it's coming from. I think, you know, my take on it is the Astros are not some sort of underdog. This is not adversity in the way that sports adversity usually comes in. So him saying that people don't want to see us here, but we're a good team. Well, half of that's correct. They are a good team. 
They're 100% a good team. They've always been a good team. They had a team in 2017 that could go win the World Series without ever cheating, without ever doing anything wrong. That's what annoys me, and that's what I think annoys a lot of fans, is that they're, they keep saying, look at us. We're a good team. We're a good team. Well, yeah, you are. Nobody really is disagreeing with the fact that you're a good team. Like, yeah, Altuve had a down year this year, and a lot of the players had down years this year. But there's still a team that can get in the playoffs and make noise. And, and I talked about that when we did our playoff preview. I said the Astros are a team that I think could get in and make noise, despite everybody being so annoyed at them. And I honestly think they might even do it. They might even be more likely to do it because everyone's annoyed at them. And so this idea that they're like, look at us. We're a good team. We're winning in the playoffs. Well, yeah, you are. You always have been these last several years. You have been. So that's not the adversity. And that's, that's what makes me really annoyed because it's like they're, this entire thing, they, their perspective has been so skewed and their, their battle cry of, of undergoing this extreme adversity and we're, we're, we belong here. Well, you do, but people don't want to see you here because of what you did and because of the complete lack of remorse and honestly, even more so the lack of any sort of punishment. So I, I don't, have a problem with his quote word for word. It's just more of the context of this idea that they think they're going through some sort of crazy adversity and they're these underdogs and when they're not. And I guess I could see it from their perspective where a lot of people think that they cheated to a world series. So if they didn't cheat, they wouldn't have won. But, but I maintain, and I will maintain that they could have won that world series without cheating. They were talented enough. And so maybe there is a camp out there that's inspiring them to say these things and a camp out there that's really saying you guys aren't good enough. But the reality is, is that they are good enough and they were good enough. And the issue is the lack of remorse for cheating and this continued idea that, that they're undergoing such extreme adversity when, when they're not. People just don't like them. I, I agree with some of what you said. Uh, it, but I do have a problem with the quote, and I think that he isn't going far enough. I want him to go. I'm all in on the Astros. I love the Astros now. I like. I hated them. I hated them. I hated them. And then I hit a point where people still hated them so much that I'm like, you know what? I love these guys now. I wish they're still. I hope they're still cheating. I really do. I hope that they're still cheating. I want them to do a complete heel turn, and I want them to be. Like, I know this is the, the lamest thing that will ever be said, but the bad boys in baseball. I want them to be blatantly cheating. I want them to come out and just blatantly, blatantly, blatantly cheat. That's what I want. I want them to be out there and just kicking ass and just being like, here's what we do. Like, I want them playing dirty. I want them spiking people. I want them to be the bad boys. Like, yes, they have all of this. But, again, it's kind of the point now where I'm like, all right, I'm over it. I'm personally, I'm over it. Like, because I've had people say, well, they cheated to beat the Yankees. And my thought was, well, I had a couple thoughts on that. One, 2017, the ALCS, that was a gift year. That was a rebuilding year. We weren't even supposed to make the playoffs. That was the baby bombers. Like, that was the year before the year in which we thought of anything was going to happen. I was excited to make the playoffs. I was excited to get to the ALCS. I was really excited for game seven. We weren't gonna, I, I didn't have any expectations of winning the World Series. Others may have. I don't know. I didn't. The other part of it is, is I am very firm in the belief that 
the Astros were not the only team that did it. Now, I know Alex Cora got uh, in trouble for it, and, and then he left and he went to Boston. Boston won it the next year. Now, they had a wagon of a team, one of the best teams I've ever seen. Uh, counting the teams that I personally have seen, not counting the 1998 Yankees because I was so young, that two, 2018 Red Sox team was the best team I've ever seen. But I think that they had a sign-stealing thing. I think that the Yankees had a sign-stealing thing. I think that possibly the Indians had a sign-stealing I think the Dodgers had a sign Sign-stealing exists in baseball. It's very common. I, I can pull up an article. I have it. It's been very, very, very common over the last – since baseball has been invented. Now, the mechanism in which to do it has – you know, keeps getting updated. It used to be, you know, a guy in center field waiting, like doing hand signs. That, and then they were like, all right, you can't do that. It's like, oh crap. Then there was a, then like in the '60s, they had a camera there, and they would do it, and they would, a guy would, you know, he had a magnifying glass or a camera, and then he would do whatever. Like this isn't new. It happens in baseball. It happens all the time. This is just one of those where it's a prolonged series of things. Like before, it would be like, hey. It's the middle of July. I, I, you know, I'm the Yankees playing the Astros. I'm like, what is that in center field? They're like, ah, oh, you caught me. And then they stop. Uh, this is just that, like, hey, we discovered it years later. And now retroactively, we're like, that's really bad. And it was really bad. I'm over it. I'm completely over it. I don't actually even think – I don't think Carlos Beltran should have lost his job. I don't think Alex, Alex Cora should have lost his job. And I think that's going to be even more so – because I think he's getting hired by the Red Sox like this week to be the next, to be the quote unquote next Red Sox coach. Uh, I think AJ Hinsk is going to be on the White Sox and he's going to win a World Series. I, I, like looking back on it, like I get it. But at this point right now, especially with, you know, COVID happening, we only get a 60 game season. I'm over it. I'm so over it. I'm just like, bring them back. Go Astros. I'm rooting for the Astros. I want them. I Because I, I can't wait. It's going to be so funny to watch the Astros. If they win the World Series, looking everybody dead in the eye and going like, hey, we were right. We were good. And then again, you because Jeremy, you are correct. Nobody in the world ever said that they weren't good. Like no one ever said that like they weren't good enough to win that World Series. It was just like, hey, you really did that the wrong way, which they did. And they're going to be like, they're just going to ignore that part. They're just going to be like, you said we weren't good. You said we were never good. I can't wait for that. I can't wait for people that get into their own little sphere and then they just look like assholes. And it's so funny to me. And that's what I'm looking forward to. And that's why I really, really want the Astros to win. Just so I can just sit here. And here's and the lie. thing is that it's, it's going to go down exactly as you described it. It's going to piss me off. It's going to really trigger me. Because I'm going to be sitting here and I'm going to be saying, <laughs> nobody was saying you weren't good. And I'm going to be so, so annoyed as Carlos Correa and Jose Altuve are just having this stupid, almost like the Tom Brady smirks. You remember those videos when he was, when he was winning in the playoffs and he, oh, he would yeah, just look yeah. at Gronk and go, just that little sly little smirk. I think those were hilarious, but Correa is going to do it and it's going to piss me off so much because he's not Tom Brady. Like the, the difference will that you just said is like it would be like uh Clayton Kershaw. Clayton Kershaw did it. Uh, or 
Like, I can't even think of a guy like Buster Posey. If Buster Posey gave that smirk, I'm like, you won three rings already. Like, you've cemented yourself. You can do it. Like, Tom Brady, can, you really can. Tom Brady can do whatever he wants. You won six rings. Like, and it's like Carlos Correa is like, you, you won the rookie of the year. You won one World Series. And he's going to do it. And it's great. just going to piss me off <laughs> so much. But, but that's the thing is, like, if you win it, like, if, I mean, shoot. It's a COVID season, and you can, you know, that could be a whole nother topic. But if you win a title in any professional sports league, it's a big, big deal. It's incredibly hard. It doesn't matter if it's a COVID season. So at the end of the day, he has every single right to be gloating and to be saying, look at us. We did it. We did it. But the part that's just going to annoy me is just he's going to say, y'all doubted us. No, there's a difference between people doubting you and people not wanting you to win. That's a difference. There's a big difference there. And he, like you said, they're going to completely ignore it. And it's, it's going to trigger me. It's going to trigger some other people a lot more than me. But um, you know, now I'm not at the level where I'm, I'm commenting on all the Astros posts with a picture of a trash can. I have not reached that level. There, there are certain people that have, and it's really going to be upsetting. It's going to upset me. I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm just going to see it and be like, oh, well, well, it has no impact on me. It's definitely going to upset me. I'm definitely going to text you and a bunch of other people and be like, what the hell is going on? This is really <laughs> annoying. But at the same time, um, it's just going to be interesting the way that it goes down if that happens, because I think the way you described it is, is perfect. It's exactly how it's going to happen. Speaking of something along those lines, did we not – I mean, 1,100% nail the Padres. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Did we not nail it? Like, hey, hey they're going to be electric. All right. And, and then they're going to play the Dodgers, and it's going to be like everybody's like, like begging. But like, they, like, nobody thought they had a chance against the Dodgers, but they're just like, like, can you please let this go to extra innings? Just give me a, like, uh, give me a fifth game. I'm praying you. Like, it doesn't have to be like, we'll beat them 17 to zero in the next game. I just want to see more. Was, we called it. Like, it was electric. It and the Padres are so, so much fun to watch. Um, I mean, shit, man. Why, Trevor Bauer, I mean, why not go to San Diego next year and reunite with Clevenger and get them back to the, back to the playoffs? Because that team is just going to be, like we said, that team's going to be a wagon for a couple of years. If they play their cards right, because you could have some real gross mismanagement that could really screw over an organization. But, I mean, they're the, the management they have right now has assembled that team because they are a team that just hoards prospects, it seems like. And they've done that so far. So I really hope they're back in the playoffs. They were so fun. But you're right. We nailed it. Like it was, it was really just so exciting. But the Dodgers are going to beat them, and but it's going to be amazing to watch. But the Dodgers are going to win, and that's exactly what it was. I mean, they were all because they have other guys besides Machado and Tatis. I mean, Grisham is an electric factory. I love Will Myers. They have that. I don't know. I, th I think he's their second baseman. Jake Cronenworth, he's going to, he's the NL MVP. I mean, the guy, the team is so incomprehensibly fun to watch, not to mention they have Clevenger. They, they still have two of the best starting pitching prospects to come up, Mackenzie Gore and Luis Patino. I think, I mean, Trevor Bauer and Clevenger like each other so much. It only comes down to is, are the Padres willing to give 
Trevor Bauer, $30 million. Because I just read something, and I don't know if this was public knowledge, but Trevor Bauer has said he doesn't want a long-term deal. He's going to continue to sign one-year deals, because, but this might change with COVID because COVID's going to bring stuff down. But he was going to sign one-year deals in order to maximize his uh, salary benefits, which makes sense. You think about it in the terms of the NBA. Um, okay, and I remember 15 years ago, or, or maybe 10 years ago, whatever, LeBron James signed a max contract, and it was for $17 million a year. Massive, massive contract. All right? Jump five years ahead, he, because of the TV contract, he signed for $30 million. All right? Now you have guys like Mike Conley was the highest paid player in NBA history at 31. Damian Lillard in a couple of years is going to get 50 million in a year. This is all within an eight year time frame. The money is exploding. However, I'm really nerdily, very nerdily interested in how that's all going to go down because I think that there's a real problem unless they haven't figured out there's going to be a real problem just because you signed these contracts with the anticipation of like continued growth, even like lesser growth. But now that you have this COVID thing, it really changes things. I, that's again, different story. I'm going to find it fascinating. Might be one of the only people on earth. That's fine. But he might, I mean, why not sign a one-year deal this next year with the Padres? The Padres are undoubtedly the most exciting team in baseball, maybe the most exciting team in all of sports. And he's like, I can be that for this year. Like, here's all the hype. They're at the highest excitement that they're going to be. I can go to that. In one year, no skin off my teeth. And then we could do it. Plus, I had this idea with Kevin Durant a few years ago. Never was going to happen. But I thought it was going to be, could have been sick. And Trevor Bauer could have the greatest nickname in sports history if he goes year by year team to team to team to team and he's like this team is missing one piece and it's me so i'm gonna go and then this next year i'm gonna jump to this team and i'm gonna win it with them and, and he could just be known as trevor the mm -hmm. mercenary bauer i like because that he's a gun for hire that's the sickest really nickname did. of all time and i'd be like that would be really cool he'll never do that i i support i support his thing because it's a it's an experiment more or less it's possibly happened before that I just can't recall, but nobody's doing it the way that he has done it because Not he's really. seriously, I mean, he tweeted a couple times today. He said, I'm flying to Los Angeles, uh, in the mean, flying to Los Angeles. In the meantime, Dodgers fans reply in the comments. Why, why you, why I should go to the Dodgers, dude. I mean, this guy's soliciting like fans and making them, he's got thousands of comments on these tweets. And he's soliciting fans, and he's making fans beg uh, for him to come to their city. And it's just – I mean, obviously, he's making the executives do the same thing on the opposite end. But, but Twitter's just freaking out over, over what city he could go to next. Like, I see with the, some of the front runners, like, Angels fans are just desperate. Like, and if you're Bauer, why not go play with Mike oh, yeah. Trout for a year? Like, that's – it's just, like – it's just so oh, – exactly. so revolutionary. And Bauer's been revolutionary in a lot of things he does starting literally from his college career where he really embraced a bunch of different pitching techniques and mentalities um, and theories, some of which I studied in college. Like he's, he started with that. He was always known as this odd guy and it's developed into being really, really quirky, having these really interesting off field hobbies, like 
drone foot, like shooting drone footage and things like that. <laughs> Real, you want to go there? You want to mention it? Drone? And I, really? That's all I want to say. I, I, <laughs> it, I, it triggers me to even say the word drone nowadays. <laughs> but drone. Shut up, Michael Powers. Your dad has a drone. He'll he'll get that. He's gonna laugh real hard at that, but nobody else he's, might. He's but, he's on, one of the few Powers. baseball players to really have a big time blog or vlog, I should say, and a huge social media presence. He gets he actively seeks out beef, sports and non sports beef with people. Like he gets into politics too. Like he actively seeks that those arguments out. He lives for Twitter fights, and now he's now he's going to take all those quirky things that he is and really, really impact the financial side of the entire sport by what he's about to do. Now, am I saying that there's going to be, he's going to be a trailblazer and so many other people are going to do this? No, but he is going to, if he follows through with this type of stuff, he's going to convince uh, several all-star worthy players, all-star caliber players over these next several years to think, yeah, I could lock up some money, but, you know, and if, again, like the reason that most people sign the long-term deal is to protect themselves. But if, it's for Dak Prescott. Oh, yeah. It's the same thing with Dak Prescott. I mean, it, it's the same, it's the same reason that NFL players hate the franchise tag. They hate it um, because you're exactly right. I mean, like what you're about to be, there's so many benefits to long-term deals. And what you're about to say, I was about to counter with like, yes, it's revolutionary. It's all this. Exactly. But then Dak Prescott happens. And then you break your ankle. Yep. Where do we go from there? Uh, like I just signed a one-year deal. I mean, how many times do you see like the superstar who comes off his four or five-year deal is last year, he gets injured, catastrophically injured out for the season. And now every person like it, the story doesn't become where is he going to sign? He's like, oh, mm-hmm. is somebody going to take a flyer on this guy? Like you take a flyer on him for fifteen million a year, and he's either going to win you the MLB or he's going to crash and burn. And I think like you know that he needs to consult somebody because he opens himself up, and he will never will because he's Trevor Bauer. Because what you're saying with Trevor Bauer, how he's revolutionary. I don't. Think, I mean, in his methods, I think are revolutionary, but I don't think he is. He's just a diva. Like he doesn't mean to be, and he doesn't have all the like the outwardly traits of what you would think of like a TO or something. But he's just a diva. Like he's he's, he's out there. He's gonna tell you his stuff. He's gonna tell you. He's gonna not care. I mean, but like he is a diva. Like what he's Manny Manny Ramirez in a way. He's gonna be very outspoken. You're not gonna really agree with him sometimes. That's okay. It's just the mechanisms in which he is a diva. Yes, are 100. And that's exactly why I said he's not gonna be some sort of trailblazer, and he's not gonna. He's not going to, you know, I did say revolutionize. He's not going to trailblaze, you know, you're not going to have all these players follow him in this, but you are going to see an increase in players that are confident enough because he's, he does not lack any confidence. You're going to see a lot of players that you're going to see a lot of players that, or should say more, you're going to see more players that are all-star caliber players that are going to have this confidence and, think to themselves like even if it's just two-year deals because that's obviously a little more secure but you're going to see players that are like you know I might do a one or two-year deal especially early in your career where you're less injury prone and take that chance go win a couple rings and see what happens and or at least go to teams that have the huge potential to go win some rings and so shopping yourself around like that 
I think is revolutionary. Now, if it actually starts a, a revolution and starts a, a movement, I should say, um, however big, it's, it's going to be very impactful. I think you're going to see that happen more often. Rare, obviously, because confidence of Trevor Bauer's level is rare, just in the world in general, not even in, not even in pro sports, which is saying a lot, but in the world in general. And so it's going to be interesting to see how he changes things with what he's been doing. Counterpoint to what you're saying. And it's just a thought because I thought it was very interesting going into this season before the pandemic and all this and going into last year as well. I don't have all the numbers. I don't have all the examples in front of me. Um, There is a story and I kind of do agree with the story. I do agree with it. But what do you think of guys that is completely counter to what you're saying? Guys such as Eloy Jimenez and I think Willie Adamas who Eloy Jimenez last year before he had any service time, uh, the way the free agency works in MLB, it's all based off your service time. It's very structural. Like, like you can have a season, and then for the next four years, you don't know your contract going in, yet you're locked into the team. Uh, it's, it's very, it can be very complicated. It involves arbitration, which is nuts that that happens in my eyes, but whatever. What about this new wave of guy like Elo Jimenez? What he did before he had any service time, he sent a six-year, $43 million contract. Now, the idea of it is potentially, you know, three years down the line when he gets to arbitration, he could make $20 million a year if he so like if he wins his arbitration. He could make that he could wait half of what he makes over that six years by going to arbitration. And it's kind of like betting on yourself. But he now has this security blanket. Uh, of hey, six years, 43 million baseball, you're going to get that money. There's no doubt about it. And then he gets to go to free agency. It's very counter. And it's what a lot of these younger guys, again, like I said, I can't think of the other guys that kind of jumped to my head because I know that there's like two other of the big um, prospects over the last two years that have done this. I, two, three, uh, it's like so much throw that I, it was almost a trend. And I was just like, that's really interesting. Because it's not normally what people do. Normally, people will take the rookie contract, they'll sign a two-year deal because it's just the structure, and then they go to arbitration. Everybody goes to arbitration. But these guys are saying, no, I don't want to. I just want to get my contract, and then I'll get to go to free agency. But I have this structure, and I have this safety blanket. It's just I think it's really interesting what Trevor Bauer is doing, and I agree with it. But then a lot of these younger guys now have this same – have this counter idea. Yeah, Ozzie Albies was probably the other one that you're looking for. So Ozzie did the similar yes, thing. Yes, I think it is. He was – after his rookie year, he signed a seven-year, $35 million contract. And a lot of people were giving him, giving him crap about that, thinking seven years, 35. Like he could be getting – because Acuna got seven years or eight years and 100. So you're thinking, you know, obviously – in the grand scheme of things, it's all generational wealth anyway. Like already, it's already generational wealth. But a lot of people were really confused by the fact that this guy who was one of the most exciting rookies in baseball locked himself up for seven years for only $35 million. Some people are arguing he could have earned like six times that by the time he hits free agency. But what you're saying – he could have, yeah, he could have earned five. Yeah, exactly. So what you're saying is, and I didn't even think about it until now, is he's playing out the rest of that rookie contract. He's playing out the rest of that 
service time until he's able to hit free agency because it's a five-year period. So he's playing that out until he hits free agency. Yeah. And he's like, shoot, I can be on my rookie contract until then, or I can make a lot more money over that period. And in his case, he's doing it for seven years. So he's actually going to, he's actually going to hit his free agent threshold and still have two or three years left on his contract. But at the same time, he's securing himself, you know, 5 million a year as opposed to what it would have been before. So it's smart. And it's one of those things that a lot of people gave him a bunch of crap about and thought, wow, the Braves absolutely robbed him. When in reality, he's really just securing money, more money for himself than he would have so that he doesn't have to have this worry hanging over his head. Like, okay, only got two more years till free agency. Only got one more year. I hope I don't get hurt. Now he's like, if I get hurt, obviously I could be, you know, Ozzy Albies by the time he's up to free agency, he's going to be worth a lot of money if he keeps the trajectory that he's on. But at the same time, he's really, he really, it lessens the stress of being like, I've only got a couple more years till free agency. And then I get that very, very, that highly coveted uh, first out of, you know, first non-rookie contract. And they're able to secure money where he's like, I'll just secure some, I'll just secure really more money than I need to live um, right now until I get there. And if I get there, then I sign a mega deal, which he probably will. But if I don't get there, then in the meantime, I got what I, I got as much as I could, which is great. There's a guy for the Red Sox. Again, he was a prospect and he is the other side of the coin on this. He got this deal. I don't remember what I want to say six years, 23 million. And it was a couple of years ago. And the guy stinks. I think like, I want to say that he did this two years ago. He was completely out of the league. Like, I mean, he's, he made like, he played, I want to say he played like 30 games. And then they were like, yeah, he doesn't have it. They sent him back down and he's basically out of baseball, but he gets that money. Like you, you're not, he does, he gets to keep that money. He's like, no better than like a double all double a ball player, but he had all this potential, blah blah blah, and he's got like twenty three million in the bank. Like that stuff does happen, and it's not often that you give that six year forty three million whatever contract to a guy that doesn't work out at all. Uh, that's the only one that comes to mind. But like that's a side of the coin where I get it. Like you know, like I think deep down some of these guys might be like, you know, there's a chance I don't have that. I don't. I don't have it. It can go away at an instant. I mean, again, you get the yips, you lose it, something happens, and you're done. And it, they're not going to sit around and wait for you. They're not going to give you pity money. If you're like, hey, I have a chance to secure, instead of $800,000 a year, I can secure $5 million a year for the next seven years. Yeah, I might, like, there, yeah, there might be a year down the line where I could have gotten 15 for one year. But I, you know, I just, there's bigger things. There's bigger things to be done. There's, you know, and, and especially if you're a team, you can argue like, you know, oh, we're not going to have that much money tied up. We can go get you some help. Like there's a lot of things and there's a lot of things that I understand about it. And it's a lot of things that happen in other sports similar that I get it, you know, it's just wild. It's wild how it's all shaped up. It's wild. And, you know, it's a bunch of analytics and that's kind of what it is. And, you know, I think another thing that has, and me up in arms and it's the analytic baseball and it's the rise of operational analytics in baseball. 
And the thing that really set me off was when I watched the Rays play the Yankees. And for Aaron Judge and then Aaron Hicks back-to-back, they employed four outfielders. They had three guys in the infield. I, and they, had a, they had a guy manning the left side and then two on the right. And they were all the way back. And then, I mean, they basically almost had four, all, all the guys in the grass in the outfield. And I'm just like, this isn't baseball. This is not baseball. This is a spin-the-wheel probability match that is happening right now. And I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. And that's why my thing is I want to, in effect, ban the shift. In that, I mean no more loading up the right side, having your second baseman basically be paying shower left, right field. You, every infielder needs to have complete and has to have all of his feet. Yeah, and that's why I think that you, there should be a rule that the infielders cannot be in the outfield. They have to have two feet in the dirt. All right. They're allowed to come up for the bunt, I guess. Uh, maybe not even then. I mean, they, the third baseman for the bunt, they have that little inlet on at first and third. You need to have two feet in the, in the, in the dirt. That's it. That's the rule. You can't put them in the outfield. All right. Because that's crap. And, and you know, the argument, the argument back at it is, oh, why don't, you know, just take advantage of it, bunt into the shift. And the problem is, is like these analytics guys says that it doesn't even work then. You, you still, you can't do it. And it's just, it stinks watching baseball. I mean, I just looked at, and the Oakland Athletics, who made the ALDS, had a team batting average of, I I just had, I think they were 223 team batting average. That's horrific. The Reds had the lowest team batting average in MLB history this year. And they made the playoffs. They had a decent record. They were a good team lowest batting average ever all right this past year the uh the league batting average was 245 which is the lowest batting average since 1972 i believe 1972 all right and around that time that's when they changed the mound that's when they like again they changed the mound they lowered it i believe because pitchers were too good. It's, uh, it's, I'm just sick of it. I, I'm just sick of it. I mean, the fact that a guy like Joey Gallo, who a couple years ago had 100 home runs before he had 100 singles. He, I'm not saying that you have to be the slap hitter, blah, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, like, to say, like, again, I don't have the stat in front of me, but I'm willing to guess 50 to 60% of all at-bats either end in a home run, a strikeout, or a walk. That's boring. You know, people say that, well, the strikeout's the most exciting thing of pitching. The home run's exciting amount of, uh, of hitting. That should be awesome. You get the best of both. And you go, yeah, but then it's just, you know, who can hit the most home runs? I don't care about singles. I don't care about small ball. I mean, the idea of hitting a bleed-off double, bunting the guy over, and then hitting a sacrifice fly, you will get thrown out of the clubhouse now. And I'm just, I'm getting annoyed with it. And I just, I think it's time to ban the shift in a way. And other sports, I mean, the traditionalists might say, you know, but you can't change this, blah, blah. And I go, all right, let's look at other sports. Let's look at basketball. All right. It came along. You know, you went along, scoring was down, defense was up. So they banned the hand check. 
They update the rules. They add the three-point line. They, like, the games grow. Football, obviously, over the last 10, 20 years, they've completely changed the game. You update the rules for updated things that happen. They need to do that. You know, they need to update the game for the updated world. I think it would be an insanely interesting to see the reaction of any sort of movement to ban the shift. I mean, you see jobs now for operations departments for Major League Baseball, and you need to have stats degrees and economics degrees. And it's, it's all about the numbers. And I love that part, to be honest. And obviously, that's a good counterpoint to what you were just saying. Um, but I think I agree with you in terms of a very basic fan reaction to the shift. I, I agree with you in that because a majority of the bats end in a strikeout walk or, or a home run. That's true. And the other part is just watch a game and there will probably be multiple times where you see, especially a lefty smoke a ball. And you're like, you see it right off the bat before the camera can shift to the overall field view. When it's still the home plate view, you see them smoke a ball and you're like, oh God, that's a hit. And then it changes to the other view and you're like, the second baseman's 40 feet into the outfield, you know? So that kind of takes, takes excitement away there. And there's a very interesting counterpoint to quote unquote, the shift is making baseball more boring. But this actually might confirm what you were saying about walks. Because you can say a strikeout is the most exciting part of pitching. I agree. A home run is the most exciting part of hitting. I agree. But what's left with the other majority of at-bats? Walks? That's not really exciting for anybody. So the article that I found was saying, hey, the shift actually is not curbing runs but here's what it's actually doing and you read this right here here's an excerpt from it even though the shift is good at gobbling up ground balls and line drives it has the secondary effect of making pitchers throw more pitches out of the strike zone they don't appear to be pitching to the shift by throwing more pitches on the inner part of the plate but merely pitching away from contact nibbling more and throwing fewer fastballs this all means more balls. More balls mean more walks, and they also mean more hitters counts, which means more doubles, triples, home runs, and fewer strikeouts. So naturally, if you have pitchers trying to nibble on the plate more, it's going to create fewer balls, which could drive up those home run numbers, but it's actually also going to drive up walk numbers. So it's doing the But aren't we having, especially this year, I mean, didn't we have like, legendary unheard of k per nines this year like i i want to say like i didn't like the reds struck out like infinity batters they struck out so many batters like the strikeouts are up so i i like i agree with everything you just said except for the part where like so strikeouts are down are you saying that like they're swing people are swinging at bad pitches more because strikeouts are up i think people are swinging at bad pitches more I think that, that ha I think that that's happening because you're seeing spin rate become such a huge topic in baseball and people are literally training to up their spin rate. So I think that that's happening, but I think the mentality of pitching is what they're talking about where they're trying to nibble more. Now, if strikeouts are up because of increased spin rate and because of an increased focus on getting people to chase, 
then that's good. And that could be what the article's picking up. The article's not saying that there's, well, they are saying that there's fewer strikeouts. But I think the important part here is that pitchers are nibbling more. And so maybe it is the fact that with better pitching, like there is in baseball today with better pitching, you're seeing more swings and misses on pitches outside of the zone. But what you're also seeing is just pitchers pitching out of the zone more. So naturally you will get more strikeouts because pitchers are pitching out of the zone, but you're also going to get more walks because they're pitching out of the zone. So it's, it's interesting because the, the biggest, I think, complaint about the shift from somebody that isn't doing research is just, it takes away runs. What the hell? When in reality it is creating runs, but is it creating them more by the walk or more by the home run? Because you're getting more home run counts. You're getting more pitchers, you're more hitters counts. But is it creating more runs by walks or by getting people on base in that way? Or by getting, you know, a slap single to the side that beats the shift? So it's really an argument of what would you rather see? Would you rather see more runs or would you rather see more home runs hit because you've got these hitters counts? Would you rather, how would you rather see those runs come in, basically? And I think one of it also is, is I'm just, it's the number of hits. I think that's kind of what it is. It's like when the complete acceptance that a walk is just as good of a single, it's just as good of a single, like calm down. And it's like, you're correct. However, from a fan's perspective, it's not. A, A hit is obviously better. A hit is more fun. I mean, I'm looking at the total hit numbers for who won the league and who won. And, I mean, go back to 2012 in the AL. I mean, you had going 2012 and below in the AL, all right, 216, 213 uh, for 216, 12, and 2012, 213 in 2011, 214 in 2010. That's right there. It's been a little higher where everything was. Now I'll read you from 2013 up to 2019. All right, 199, 225, 200, 216, 204, 192, 206. All right, go to the NL. Same kind of thing. All right, we're looking at in 2013, 199, 184, 205, 203, 213, 191. You're just having less hits. Uh, And I don't know if they're more spread out towards more people. I'm just looking at these leaders. And just that's not fun to me. I mean, that's not fun. Like, you have a guy, like, he's great at baseball. DJ LeMahieu, he hits three, whatever he hit this year. A lot of that is because he got walks. Those don't count towards his batting average. Batting average is up. You think, oh, yay, more hits. No, there's less hits. They're walking guys, and I think that you make bring up the best point of all. I think I'm just so I think I'm sick of the walks. I think that's what I'm sick of. I think I'm sick of the number of walks that happen. That's all they do because, you know, you have guys like Joey Votto who's like, I'm gonna get on base almost fifty percent of the time. I'm gonna get on the base forty-five to fifty percent of the time, and that's unheard of and it's unreal. And you look back at it and you're like, that's such an amazing stat. Oh my God! Blah 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 boring i'm walking i'm not here to watch you walk i'm i mean and some people are fooled by like oh i'm here to watch home runs and there's home runs are up that's awesome i'm like yeah but like a solo home run you know it's one of those like you do it so many times it's like okay it's just a hit like it's just a hit it's it's just getting 
boring. And I just, I guess I want more plays because I want more plays to be done on defense because you hit into the shift. They're all basic hits. You don't get many great uh, plays. I feel like that, like, again, I just feel like maybe it's because I'm just, they're not showing the highlights anymore. I feel like diving catches are down. Diving stops at shortstop to flip into the double player down. I feel like all these cool defensive and non home run strikeout home run or strikeout plays, they're just not happening as much. And it's just, it stinks. Yeah. And think about it from a hitter's perspective, because if you're a guy like Joey Gallo, who knows majority of the time that he's going to put a ball in play, it's going to the right side. And that's exactly why they're shifting because they have monumental evidence to suggest that a vast majority of his balls in play are going to go to that side. So from his perspective, he's like, okay, if I get a home run pitch, I'm, I'm going to take it. But if I, if I don't think it's a home run pitch, I know my odds are that I'm going to ground out to the right side. So what am I going to do? I'm going to take more pitches and I'm going to wait out walks. And that's another excerpt. Here's another excerpt from the article. If the concern is that the shift has cost the league offense and offense sells tickets, then the shift is probably the wrong villain. But if the concern, just like you were saying, is that the shift costs the league the right kind of offense, the kind that involves batters swinging, balls being put in play, fielders chasing baseballs, and runners sprinting for bases, they have a point. The shift has essentially shifted offense from the ground ball through the hole kind of kind to the waiting out a walk kind. It, it has given batters less incentive to put the ball in play and more incentive to take pitches. And that's exactly right. The exact reason is because if you are a hitter who somebody, and again, the shift is the shift seems like it's put into place a lot. Now, granted, there are subtle shifts, obviously, but the dramatic shift of moving a position player to another side of the field isn't insanely common. However, if you are one of those hitters, or I should say, I shouldn't say however, I should say so, if you are one of those hitters that people are putting employing a dramatic shift against, it is smart because that means they have monumental evidence to suggest that you're going to hit into that shift. So you are going to wait it out to make sure that you get a pitch that you can mash. Either you mash it into the shift and hope you just power your way through, or you're going to hit it out, or you're going to hit it in the gap. And so you're going to, you're going to see a decrease in hitters, especially those who are heavily shifted against. You're going to see a decrease in hitters really taking a chance and trying to shoot one through the opposite field. Just because if a team sees enough evidence to shift against you, then it's pretty dramatic evidence. And the hitter knows that because that's, that's their tendency. And so they're going to wait out walks. They're going to wait for that perfect pitch that they know they can beat that pitch on, they can beat that shift on. 